0: From the heart of the forest city, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles.
1: It's the Craig Needles Podcast here at Classic Rock981.com, London News as well, and we are uh, in the big studio today because we're joined by a couple of guests here on the Craig Needles podcast. And one of them is Dan Kreitz, who is uh, someone who has uh, been with Y-O-U, Youth Opportunities Unlimited, for uh, for eight years and is now a staffer there. We're going to talk about Dan's role in just a second. And the other person is Steve Kortz, who, of course, we know is the... Uh, CEO, right? I I always try to... I was executive director, CEO, whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) I I never want to get people's titles wrong. But Steve, of course, has been uh, happy and uh, kind enough to join us here and talk about uh, Youth Opportunities Unlimited. And if you've listened to me on this podcast ever, and Steve's been on this podcast before, you know how much uh, I... uh, I think that Youth Opportunities Unlimited is one of the most phenomenal organizations in this community doing incredible things. We're going to talk about some of those things uh, today. And, and you know that uh, my good friend Cheryl Miller, who you hear on this podcast quite regularly, is one of the board members there and, and obviously knows Steve quite well. So we're going to talk about a lot of what's going on there today. So thank you both of you guys for being here. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, This That's yeah. great. Thanks for having me. I really
0: appreciate
1: it. Uh, Dan, just start with your background and, and how you got involved in, in,
0: with YOU and sort of what you do now with YOU. So going back to how I got involved, it was mostly uh, 2014, 2015 uh, for my high school is how I got involved. We had some people from Youth Opportunities in our guidance office talking about some employment opportunities for the summer. And I was in a position of some dire housing and some income uh, being needed for that. So I uh, got connected with them, started off in what we call our YJCS program, which is a summer job connection program. And from there, I uh, ended up just staying tagging along throughout the years, staying connected, working odd jobs here and there, whether through YOU or in the community, and just kind of circling back to joining uh, the Clean Slate program, which is uh, the program I currently run for Youth Opportunities Unlimited.
1: Okay, cool. It's uh, it's good to know. And it kind of shows that someone who's gone from being uh, uh, helped by a YOU and getting some access to their services, someone who is helping YOU. That's uh, that's kind of a really cool story and kind of kind of full circle like that.
0: Yeah. So I started off in the Clean Slate program as a youth who was um, what we call like a community cleanup specialist. So like I started up cleaning garbage and everything, some needles in our community near the playgrounds. And then from there, it kind of helped me transition from that poverty line uh, from being homeless to being com- becoming housed by getting an income and some employment experience. And then from leaving the program, I ended up being invited back to uh, fill in a spot to run the program now, so I kind of come full circle with that.
1: Steve, I know that stories like Dan's are not uncommon uh, as far as people who uh, are needing the help uh, at, at YOU at one point and become staffers at YOU later on down the road, right?
2: Absolutely, uh, particularly in our social enterprise area and also in, in our housing area, but in social enterprise, it's probably about a third or so of our employees uh, in our social enterprise or so our, our cafe, our woodshop and recycling program and so on uh, actually started started their journey at YOU as a participant in our program. That
1: I, I think that says everything you need to know about the program is that people who have been involved in it sort of at one end at one point want to still be involved in it as as things progress. right? I think that tells you a lot about the program that you guys have there.
2: Well, you know, you hear it in Dan's comments, not to put words in Dan's mouth, but uh, to go from... Uh, receiving support to be in a position to be able to offer support not quite to a peer group because there's usually a bit of time between Mm -hmm. when you were in their spot to the spot that they're in right now but you certainly relate in a real real and personal way so you want to help
1: Dan I was gonna ask you about that because you're someone that if someone comes to you with uh, a concern or or something along those lines you can say hey when I was in a spot not dissimilar to yours I you know items one two three and four you have some lived experience here that can help folks that need it right
0: yeah so uh with the lived experience you know i have a variety of youth coming to me on a daily basis describing varying situations from you know some very dark places into some you know not so dark places that are kind of just a a skip or a jump in the road right now but when it comes to that we just try to support where we can and with my lived experience i try not to uh professionally help them so much and then i try to more be a peer and relate to the problem that they're going through hear them out you know a lot of supporting youth is about listening to them and allowing their voice to be heard and then kind of taking the next steps and providing to the right professional agencies if it's outside of our scope of service
1: now and, and that's the thing is you, there's a whole big setup here if someone needs some assistance that goes beyond what's going on at, at yu or wherever there's 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 other there's other opportunities other paths in order to get what what someone may need right
2: exactly sometimes it's helping people uh, there's a step where they might uh, be very intensely involved at you for a period of time whether that's working uh, for the organization living in one of our uh, uh, housing programs and so on uh, but it's really just a landing place onto a next step for them so often, that's a plan to go back to school, either to finish uh, high school, uh, and quite frequently, actually. Uh, I wouldn't say the majority, but it happens frequently uh, where people are going on to some post-secondary education, specifically because they want to acquire the professional tools so they can uh, help their community because the communities help them. Uh, so youth that are homeless or experiencing homelessness or experiencing poverty right
1: now Dan what are some of the the concerns they come to you with when they're looking for housing because we've talked a lot about on this podcast that rents are out of control right now it's really really hard to find a spot that's even remotely affordable if you're on Ontario Works or ODSP or whatever it happens to be so when they're coming to you saying hey Dan I'm having trouble with this uh, what are the types of problems they're coming to you with?
0: So a majority of a lot of the pro- uh, problems I'm seeing is uh, accessibility in a lot of the biggest forms, whether it's accessibility just to the housing market itself, because they may be, you know, below the age of 18 because we serve uh, individuals from like 15 to 30, I believe. Right. So we have some individuals who may be too young to even apply for a rental unit without a co signer, But a lot of these individuals have been. Uh, let down by their family or their situation has kind of disconnected them with people. So there just isn't a cosigner around. Yeah, there isn't a cosigner around or it's an accessibility with money location. You know, I, I have this job right now, but I'm not housed. How do I, uh, I can't move halfway across the city to go to get to this job just so I can stay housed. So it's kind of just, if they have one thing good going on it's something else that's holding them back in a different area, whether it's regards to housing or employment.
1: Right, right. It's, it's a matter of sort of figuring out all the things at once because if you've got a, a job that's going Good and you're liking it there and your employer is happy that you're there. Why do we have a situation where there isn't housing that's affordable anywhere near that particular job or transit options to get to that particular job or whatever it is? So that's that's part of the the systemic problems we're talking
0: about. Yeah. Yeah. It's accessibility to housing. It's accessibility to employment, It's accessibility to transportation. All those things have really have to come and line up and the stars have to align for It really to work in any one of those specific situations, because if you don't have accessibility to get to work, then you're not getting to work and you're not getting paid, then you're not paying your rent. And then that kind of compounds all those problems into one unique situation for each individual that we come across.
1: And I think that most of us from a societal perspective have moved on from, well, why don't you just find a place to live and find a job? I think most people are now of the belief that, hey, wait, that's a lot easier said than done. But when you add in the factors of, oh, yeah, you could find the job hypothetically in northwest London and you could hypothetically have a job, have a place to live uh, that you know, is, is affordable and, and makes sense for you kind of in the south end by White Oaks or whatever it happens to be. But your commute to and from is an hour and a half by LTC or more. It, all of a sudden it just starts getting really, really complicated. It, it just it's it's way easier said than done.
2: Craig, you've just described exactly a situation uh, that I was aware of a couple months ago where there's a young person uh, who was staying in our shelter, which is northeast end of the city on Clark Road, uh, and uh, wanted to move on, of course, uh, uh, into uh, getting a job and and, and so on and kind of getting that landing place, plus, uh, plus the place to live, of course. So while this person was in the shelter, the person signed up to participate in our social enterprise program, our wood shop, which is at White Oak and Bradley. And he had exactly a 90-minute commute each way for fundamentally a minimum wage job. Right. But he did that because of the skills training that went with that, the environment that felt safe and so on. But I just want listeners to think about that at a time when, okay, I don't have a place to live. So you've got these fundamental life circumstances that are gnawing away at you. How am I going to get an apartment? How am I going to save up money for first and last? How am I going to get past the landlord who's going to screen me in or out, maybe based on my age or whatever, whatever, uh, on over to also participate in this learning program, soak up all those opportunities and think down the road, where am I going to land for a long-term job down the road? All that swirling around with one person who's experienced trauma through being homeless and experiencing homelessness for a period of time is sometimes just too much to bear.
1: Yeah, it's... So we've got to do a better job, I think, as a city of A, having more places to live and B, having those places be even remotely affordable. And I I look at some of the rents and and I'll give you an example, Dan. Um, There's a place across the street from me. I'm not going to say where in the city I live, but people know I live in the downtown core place across the street from me. They've just done some renovations and it looks pretty good. Uh, and they're charging twenty four hundred dollars a month for each unit, so they've divied the house up into two units. That's more than I pay in mortgage and property taxes combined. so it just is just so different now than it was even three, four years ago. So like, it's just how is someone supposed to find $2,400 a month, depending on the types of jobs that we're, we're looking at here, especially someone who's 18, 19 years old, right? It's just, it's way out of their price range.
0: Yeah, it's way out of um, accessibility and in, in the purest form because we have youth who, you know, are needing a place to live that we try to find. We have our housing department and everything, but we try to find them units. And it's almost yeah. at the point where we recommend renting a room or finding a really solid roommate at this point because of how far things have just stretched out. Right. And myself personally, I rented an apartment 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 a year or two ago um, during COVID and I paid $700 all-inclusive for a bachelor studio apartment. Moving out, I did over 200 showings for that unit. And then they jumped the rent price up to $1,200 plus hydro without doing any prior renovation. So they almost doubled the rent cost and then just basically would deny anybody that would come their way if it didn't meet the requirements so because they had
1: so many people looking for that particular space they could be as choosy as they wanted
0: yeah i I saw everybody from families of four plus an animal trying to come into this studio apartment saying can we rent this place and they said legally because of the dwelling laws we can't allow you to live here and so we have to find a single person that meets our requirements as a landlord and property owner versus the needs of the uh, clientele that they're serving
1: yeah Uh, it's it's really sad and when people wonder why we have so many folks who are, you know, dealing with homelessness right now, Steve, and obviously there's there's mental health issues that I think our society has dropped the ball on. There's addictions issues that I think our society has dropped the ball on. But there's also housing issues that our society has dropped the ball on.
2: Exactly. If there was fundamentally housing stock available that was affordable to people that are either on Ontario Work, some sort of public support or huh. even close minimum wage or close to a minimum wage job. Okay, then you can put more of the responsibility on the individual saying, okay, but you got to work harder for your opportunities and so on. But those places aren't even around. And that's a legislative issue. That's a policy issue. Uh, that's a community that is just not keeping up with the demand for affordable housing uh, and uh, and probably uh, rules with landlords and, and, and property owners that allow for uh, increases in rent and so on because that's what the market will bear. Well, that's fair enough. That's good for the few that have the property. But for the people that are looking for a place to live what's their option
1: yeah and that's how we get into the situation that we're in so when we see conversations about hey should we build this big apartment building downtown yeah more (laughs) stock is good we should be doing that um and we should be doing that elsewhere in the city too not just in the core Uh, i'm not saying we build 52 stories elsewhere in the city but we should be building (laughs) big buildings elsewhere in the city uh so Dan, is it just a supply issue when you're talking about the difficulty of finding housing for folks? Like what are the the biggest challenges or is it just purely, hey, there aren't enough spaces?
0: I would say a majority is, hey, there's not enough spaces that are affordable, but it also comes back into that transportation piece because we have youth that have to pay, you know, 90 to $100 a month for a transportation pass. And then the fact that some of my youth work night jobs or like they're trying to find a night shift. LTC
1: is a non-option. It's a non-option because
0: when you look at it, buses stop running at what, 12, 1 a.m. around that time? Depending on which route, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so you can't even, uh, some of my youth who work late, they end up just having to walk home and take two or three hours having to walk home after a shift Get up, rinse, and repeat that. And then, you know, if they have to spend 20, 30 bucks on an Uber or a taxi to get home, that's money out of the possibility for rent. And then that increases that chance for going back to that poverty situation, even if they were out of it. But it's just, we're not even getting out of these situations as easy or as a, much as I would like to see. But we do have quite a few success stories, which I am happy to say.
1: Success stories, I'm really happy to hear about. And I know that uh, both of you would say, hey, we wish we had more success stories. But the yeah. fact that we have some <laughs> is really good. So tell us about the success story, Steve. What's the success story in the minds of the folks at Y.O.U.? Uh,
2: it comes in so many forms, of course, Craig, but uh, thinking about uh, somebody that lands uh, in the organization from a state of homelessness, uh, it's uh, helping that person first uh, model of care is to build a place of trust. Anybody that's experienced homelessness for any period of time uh, has certainly experienced trauma. Uh, It's impossible to escape homelessness without trauma. Uh, And so uh, uh, a safe place where you can start learning to trust people that say they're there to help you. Uh, And then on over to then fully... Finding ways to start uh, planning for yourself again. So success really looks like somebody that gets an apartment that they can afford uh, and they're not constantly chasing uh, basic income for groceries and rent and stuff when everything is is out of reach for them uh, and, and has a livable place, settles into a home and then can start planning for a future whether that's employment, school, or whatever. And all of that then rounds out to a really wonderful success story. And you see it transformatively happen with people. And when that happens, it's truly an amazing thing. I think it's what keeps the team at YOU engaged so much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and look, there's a reason why I talk about the organization and, and how important it is, and, and, and stuff like that is exactly why. We talked about this when I was doing you know, the radio at the other place or, or podcast or here at Classic Rock 98.1, yeah. wherever it is. We've been talking about this stuff for a long time, Stephen. So I, I think it's important. I want to ask you about where we're at on Jones Place before we uh, before we move on to one more subject here. Uh, tell us about what the latest is on that. I was at a, uh, uh, the, a soccer tournament the folks over at the London Home Builders Association did uh, earlier this month, and they, yeah. uh, they raised uh,
2: a pretty good chunk of change for Jones Place is really cool. Tell us where we're at on that project right now. Uh, well it's a shovel in the ground there's been a crane around anybody that yeah. drives through the downtown I've, uh, <laughs> I, so I
1: live not far from there and I see it pretty regularly and every time I go by I'm like okay it's looking pretty good like you know we've got some new stuff going in there so nice nice yeah. so there's
2: probably a few people cursing as they look at it but that's okay well that's <laughs> going, going down to one lane on
1: York there I understand that people would not be happy I understand that
2: but it's, it's you know the, the ends justify the means here folks <laughs> yeah. that's exactly it keep that in mind folks yeah. uh, so where we're at right now uh, we started construction in September, uh, and, uh, and so we're well into construction now. We're coming up on a year in a few months, right? Uh, and so uh, uh, you'll see as you walk by or drive by, you'll see that we're above ground. It'll, uh, the full building will be closed off before winter conditions set in, so the end of November or so, uh, and it will open uh, for residential space a year after that. In addition to the 35 uh, apartments that will be in that building, uh, there's two floors of what uh, are called Youth Wellness Hub. So we're working very actively with partners in mental health care, primary health care, other social service organizations, really bringing life uh, to the feedback that we received from participants and from social partners uh, when we first designed the idea for Jones Place. And that was having a a one-stop shop where uh, youth, particularly in this case families, uh, can come into, young families can come into Uh, and look for the right landing place if they need housing, if they need work, if they need, uh, you know, return to school and so on. And having all that there, at least at the entry point, so they it's easy access. They're not having to shuffle all over the city looking for services, Uh, and it's really exciting to see that coming together. So we'll have a fully occupied uh, wellness hub as as well as the apartments. Daniel, how would that change your role as far as Jones Place is
1: there and it's an option? What does that mean for folks that are coming to, to YOU, do you think? What's that going to be like?
0: So around my program specifically, I don't think it will have too many changes to okay. my program directly, but I feel like it would be a great place for my youth to engage more with other services and feel like that there's a one-stop kind of shop for everything that they need in terms of uh, getting access to more housing needs or some uh, food service things and kind of getting connected with their uh, their uh, employment capital counselors and the right kind of people so i think if anything it's going to be more of a an addition and a benefit to my program uh but affecting directly i don't uh foresee anything too direct, not right? not immediately but more about yeah. just
1: uh, hey there's more spaces so therefore everyone is better off type of thing
0: yeah yeah it's going to be a benefit for all for sure
1: yeah uh steve let's talk about uh the whole of community uh response And that is something that we're going to hopefully have some hubs by October. I guess we'll see. Uh, We're still sort of waiting on how that's going to look. From your perspective, and you're someone who's been asked sort of about this and you've been part of these meetings, how are you feeling about where that's at right now?
2: Um, I'm getting increasingly confident in it, actually. You know, uh, early on, uh, I wasn't quite convinced it was the right way to go uh, because I wasn't Uh, Convinced that we would be able to pull this off in such a short time frame Uh, And uh, seeing the the foundation uh, of the action around what a hub should have What it could have, what it needs to have uh, The needs of people that uh, experience homelessness right now uh, The respectful way in which uh, uh, the search will be underway to find the right locations for hubs All that, I think, is coming together really well. I think uh, uh, it's an important next step for this community because uh, what we have obviously right now uh, is uh, quite problematic as as, uh, encampments just sort of pop up Mm -hmm. and uh, and they end up being uh, policed and monitored police with lowercase p, not the not the big yes. LPS piece necessarily, but, uh, um, but we need to find a way that provides a structured path for people uh, into housing and also supporting people that right now housing just isn't available to them. How do we help them? So I'm feeling optimistic. I, uh, I'm participating on a uh, leadership uh, steering committee. Uh, every two weeks we meet and we have some really, um, really uh, fundamental conversations uh, about how we can build a strong whole of community response. And as well, youth opportunities uh, staff are on a a housing subcommittee, a a hub subcommittee, workforce development committee. So various threads of what's going to be a whole of community response altogether.
1: And that's, that's what I want to see. And you, you mentioned encampments, which is kind of
2: uh, a word
1: that generates a lot of polarizing reactions on, on one side or the other. Some people say, hey, we should leave folks in encampments alone. Other people say, hey, encampments are fundamentally bad things where bad things happen. I'm somewhere in between on that. I know that a lot of bad stuff happens in encampments. I don't think we should be busting up encampments, though. They're, 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 there's, yeah. uh, it just is, uh, it's a difficult situation to go through. But at the same time, when there are no other options, of course, this is what's going to happen.
2: There's there's no way to, to avoid it. Exactly, exactly. And uh, because there is no other option for many people, uh, you're right. People have already experienced trauma. That's how they've ended up in an encampment. Right. And sometimes uh, the
1: encampment increases the trauma.
2: Exactly, exactly. So to come in with a heavy hand and just bust them up, uh, you're not solving a problem. You're dispersing a problem maybe uh, and creating fundamental so many new problems. We need to find ways to bring people into a community, not push not push communities apart. Uh, and uh, those are complex issues because there are many. When, when I say the word community, I'm sure there's a lot of people that react. My community means this. My community means that. Community means all of the above. Uh, but we have to find a way to include people that are in encampments. It's not humane uh, that we have as a community or a country that we have so many people experiencing homelessness and and living in encampments when that is their option. My son and I were at Thames Park uh, last week
1: and saw a couple of tents, and you know, for the most part, they're just people that are, uh, it yeah. doesn't bother me the fact that they're there for the most part, they're just people that just want to be there and, and, and be left alone, they're not bothering anyone else, and that's fine, but I still think to myself, hey, shouldn't we have a support system where we don't need to have tents in Thames Park?
2: Exactly. You know? We live, yeah, yeah, we live in uh, Westmount area generally, and uh, there have been encampments in and around uh, in some of the green spaces around our, our home. The same thing, it doesn't scare me by itself necessarily. Of course, you know, you want to monitor what's going on, Mm -hmm. but you want to always monitor what goes on in your neighborhood anyway. Um, But um, it's. uh, I just find it so unsettling that encampments are becoming part of the norm of communities all across this country. And uh, I just remember a day, uh, I'm dating myself, when they just weren't a norm. And, And now it's becoming just part of the landscape. And I think that that's fundamentally because we've, uh, we failed from a policy framework, and we failed from a, a housing framework to provide housing for people.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's true. That's not it, we have failed. We have failed, and we need to do better. Um, and and I hope that the, this community response is something that generates better. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling better about where it's at now than perhaps a little bit earlier. So I'm 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 hoping for good things. And the thing about this particular opportunity is, I don't think we're going to have. Uh, you know, and I don't mean to, 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 to dismiss the donors. The donors are, are phenomenal people and done an incredible thing here. But essentially, the, this $25 million that could get up to $35 million has fallen out of the sky, really. Yeah. Like, that's never happening again. No. So no. we can't screw this up.
2: That's exactly yeah. it. It is a, and I think that's part of the rallying point, too. It is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity yeah. to do something very different. It had been a smaller donation, less transformative. It's okay. We could tweak this. We could tweak that. Yeah. 25 becomes 35, and then you get the interest of other levels of government and so on, because that's a significant private contribution. Uh, That says a lot, and that creates an opportunity for change. Yeah,
1: don't screw this up. Uh, It's my my thought process (laughs) don't screw this up. Now, of course, part of the problem is, and you're not going to fix this as $25 million, and I know you agree with me, Steve, uh, ODSP in Ontario works rates are way too low. And I I can't sit here and talk about poverty and and homelessness on this podcast without mentioning that, just because I, 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 I feel you're... If you don't mention that, you're, you've ethically failed if you're talking about this issue, but they're way too low. And, and oh I know you gosh. know that. And, yeah.
2: You know, we started, uh, when we started our Cornerstone building, which opened in um, the end of 2011, we tagged Youth Opportunities, tags rent in that building to Ontario Works uh, Shelter Allowances for uh, single people, which I think at the time was about $385 or so. Sure. So rents were targeted at that because uh, we could make the, we could make the pro forma work. And what that did is that fundamentally allowed people to pay, if they're on Ontario Works, no more than what they are getting for a rent allowance, right? right? So then they can afford groceries, they can yeah. afford you know the other stuff that goes with living, right? Um, well, in the what's that? Twelve years. Yeah. In the twelve years uh, since uh, that happened, uh, Ontario Works shelter allowances have gone from three sixty-five to three eighty-five, whatever that number was, to four hundred five. Four hundred five. Yeah. So they've gotten another twenty-five bucks a month. Uh, I think rents have gone up by years. slightly more than that.
1: Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here. Do you think I'm, I'm kind of in the ballpark? I, th- I, I think more? you're in the right area. Okay, yeah, a little for bit sure. more than 25 bucks a month.
2: Plus groceries, plus, 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 plus. Yeah. Uh, you know, your bus pass has probably gone up more than that. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so, again, failing people. So we're at the point now, even for us, we still keep rents uh, for that building at Ontario Works uh, Shelter Allowances but instead of that being somewhere around 65 or 70% of market rate which is what it was back then it's now hovering around what 44 45% of market rate if rent, if they're paying 405 for an apartment uh, we can make that work for that building we can't make that work for every building and a lot of folks wouldn't even try to make that work and that's the issue we right. do because it's our mission vision right. value right this is this is what
1: YOU is about but if you're, you know, if you're renting just a regular building, that's not the same deal. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dan, anything you want to add before we wrap up our conversation? Here?
0: Uh, not, not particularly, no, nothing that I can think of to add on to that. But, you know, definitely hit some great points there. And everything I would say is like pretty accurate from um, a young uh, person perspective, for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it's good to sort of name these issues and talk about them as opposed to just saying there are problems. Let's talk about how they're impacting people in a day to day
2: exactly and if i could because dan's a very yes. humble person if i could do a plug for what i'm dan, more what than is dan i'm doing? happy for you to do that please <laughs> he's running a program called clean slate as dan had mentioned yeah uh that program was part of a COVID recovery uh investment uh through the uh bia through downtown london and as well as the old east village bia looking at how to help uh physically clean up spaces that are in the downtown that aren't part downtown old east village that aren't part of the regular cleaning that the city does in public space. So the private alleyways, the doorsteps, and so on, of businesses in both of these neighborhoods. The city approached us and asked if we'd be interested in running that, running that as a social enterprise, perhaps an employment opportunity for young people who've experienced homelessness. Fundamentally, you're asking people uh, to uh, clean up garbage. And uh, we thought we'd give it a shot, weren't sure it was going to work. There are so many people, Dan included, so many people looking for an opportunity. People who have experienced homelessness are signing up to help out with this. And fundamentally, it's clean up garbage. Uh, the downtown businesses are, have become such friends of this particular initiative. And it allows, from my point of view, community to be built even more so. It creates those employment opportunities which are so important to people. But also for those businesses who are interacting with people who have experienced homelessness, they get to interact with in a different way. Uh, the young people that are in the program like Dan, often developing a career and a path into an employment uh, that probably wasn't going to be available for them otherwise. So Dan runs that program for us. And to come from the background that Dan came from to now running that program and helping people that have walked his shoes is a phenomenal step forward. So he's too humble to say all that. So I got to say it for him.
0: I definitely can add to that a little bit Good. for sure. Yeah. So the Clean Slate program, I look at it as a very great housing barrier program that uh, is designed to people designed to meet people where they're at, why they're at, and how they're at. The great thing about it is we can get youth accessed into our program as soon as 24 hours of walking in the front doors of YOU. So they come in, they let us know. They're, I- I- I'm homeless. I just became homeless last night. I'm scared that I'm going to be homeless. My mom's having a hard time making rent. I need to help out with the situation and kind right. of mediate this and so what the program really allows you to do is uh, it, like Steve said comes into our program picking up garbage needles cleaning up our community and helping the city as well but uh, what it does for them specifically it is allows to get them that income history that they're required for housing accessibility so when it comes to a rental unit or accessing uh, maybe rent-geared to income it provides that instant income history soon as a week uh, a, a fiscal week kicking in so what we do is every week we pay them every Friday uh, it's minimum wage. They can work up to 35 hours a week in the program. And so it allows them to uh, access all the things that they need, get some income, start looking at housing, and maybe start focusing on some other things that they didn't even begin they, they could think of doing, like a uh, school, you know, maybe donating some money to a church that they care about or being involved in their community a bit more. And so it just does a really great thing that has actually changed my life personally. Uh, I went from a a homeless youth in the program to now running it and living by myself independently and looking at uh, pathways for college and university, which is something that I never thought I would be able to do in my life, especially while being living on city streets and being on my own.
1: Yeah, that's... uh... That's awesome. I think that's a, that's a really cool spot to leave it. So thank you so much for uh, for talking about that with yeah, us, Dan. Sure. I appreciate it. And Steve, thanks for you coming in as well. I appreciate your, your time as always. It's all the time we have here on the Craig Needles Podcast, which of course can be found at ClassicRock981.com and LondonNewsToday.ca, plus on your favorite podcast app.
0: The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.